right, how is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I am so excited to be talking to Francis Larson, who is, is one of the creators of Ascend. Francis, welcome to the show. How is it going? It's going great. Thanks for uh, having me on. Yeah, you got it. You got it. I remember when I first saw you come out of YC and I checked out your website. I'm like, this thing is super interesting. And now, now we get to chat and I get to learn all about it. So for people that don't know what Ascent is, can you give everyone kind of an idea of what you're working on? Yeah, yeah. So Ascent is a marketplace for remote talent. So we help companies find high-skilled workers, uh, mostly in the United States right now. And these people are, by and large, they're remote or mostly remote. So that means they're maybe coming into the office uh, once a month or less, usually. And on the other side, we help employees or people who want to do sort of freelancing, work on their own, uh, or or just do contract or even permanent roles. We help them find work that's remote. And so we're, we're kind of in the middle connecting buyers and sellers, connecting employers and people who want to work remotely. So would you call Ascend, like, are you a recruiting firm? Are you kind of a recruiter or do you brand yourself as some, as like a marketplace for talent? Like how do you, how do you describe yourself uh, when someone? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I mean, in, in some sense, we're, we're kind of like a staffing firm, really. We're kind of like an online staffing firm. It's just at most staffing firms, and there's, there's 20,000 of, of them in the U.S. There's, there's a ton. There's, uh, that's as many coffee shops as there are in the U.S., which is a crazy number, 20,000. And uh, most of these are, 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 are focused on, they're helping companies find talented people to do some kind of work. Sometimes that's permanent placement, and that's like what you would call a recruiting agency. And then there are staffing firms who help people find uh, contractors, so people who are not employees of the company, they're employees of somebody else, or sometimes just a freelancer. And there's all these, there's all these staffing firms, and there's even some online platforms like Upwork and, and uh, TopTown. There's a number of platforms. But by and large, the staffing industry is focused on on-site workers. So people who are coming into an office, right, standard stuff. But we're coming in and saying, hey, listen, the future is remote. Like people, what they want is remote. Uh, that's by and large what, what uh, employees, they say that there's 30% of employees say they will leave their job that they're currently at if somebody offered them a remote position. Gallup puts that number at 50%. So it's this high percentage of people who want to do this. So we think that's the future. And we're really just helping facilitate that future for companies and employees alike. So we're kind of like an online staffing firm focused on remote roles. That's awesome. I've had a couple of guests on that are in the remote work world. They're building tools for remote work, things like that. I'm curious. There is some school of thought that remote isn't actually going to to become this this big thing that, that most people will be a part of. I'm kind of curious, why do you believe in that the remote is the fu- that remote work is the future? And um, yeah, let's just dive a little bit into that, into your belief system there. Right, so I mean, a lot of people, I mean, 100%, I think that, that people are gonna, they're gonna do meetings in person for a long time. I mean, people right now, even remote salespeople right now who have been on the road doing sales for a long time, they'll be away from their companies for a long time and they'll do in-person meetings with their company to get on the same page. I don't think that's going to go away. Sometimes you need such high bandwidth that you, you need so much communication that you have to be in person. 
And but that's largely like meetings and like sales activities. Like that's just you like establishing rapport. But I think that increasingly people are like, why am I having to go sit on a train for an hour and a half to get into some office when I can really just get this done uh, at home or an office that's close by? Like, why do I have to do this? And like, here's an example of this. I, I have a couple friends. They, uh, one works for a, a big consulting firm. Another one works for a big nonprofit. And they've been kind of casually working remotely for their, their companies for a bit, like two days, three days a week. And then one day they just like, Hey, I'm going to work remote full time. Their companies were cool with it. And then what they did is they're like, they moved to Mexico city and they started working and they're these, the employers are in the U S they're from the U S they went to Mexico city and they didn't tell their employer and their employer had no idea. And these are big companies and they were there for six months and the employer didn't even notice that they were gone. And it's like, it didn't matter. It didn't matter that they, they were gone, that they like, it, it wouldn't matter where they were. And so that kind of thing is happening more and more. People are like, why do I really need to go? And I, I think what's happening now is, is people are sitting on the, like if you, in 30 years, if you told your grandkids, you know, what's going to sound like when you say, yeah, when I was a kid, I used to, I have to get on the train for an hour or sat in traffic for an hour to go to a place to work side by side by another person. And then at the end I had to get on a, a train for another hour with cram with all these people. You know, what's going to sound like, it's going to sound like those grandparents who say, yeah, when I was a kid, I used to walk barefoot uh, in the snow for 10 miles uphill both ways. That's what it's going to sound like. People are going to be like, this is ridiculous. And so like, like it's it just changed the, the people. I think in the future, people are going to look back and say, this is crazy we don't have to be there all the time. Sometimes you're going to be there. I mean, like people like having parties. I mean, people like, like doing meetings, people are always going to have to meet, but to actually get like big thought work done. I think a lot of times you don't need to be physically next to another person who, you know, is eating a smelly lunch. I, I don't think you have to do that. That literally happened to me yesterday at my coworking space. I'm just peacefully doing my work and then I just get this stench I'm like, what is this? <laughs> That's so funny. So quick side question. Have you heard of the book, The 4-Hour Workweek by, by Tim Ferriss? Yeah, I've, I've actually never read it, but yeah, of course, I've heard the, of that. The, the reason I bring it up is because he, whenever that book was published, it was a little while ago, 2008, 2010 maybe? Yeah, I might be a little off. What he mentions, he like put, lays out a game plan on this is how you get to work your job but not be there and this is how you phase yourself out and I actually do think that that book is a pillar in the movement that is create like kind of the digital nomad movement and the remote movement I feel like that book is like kind of the, the stake in the ground which I think is interesting you should definitely read it because it's kind of a little historical now but it's good stuff well, yeah I mean you've had a couple there's like a number of, of people that have had like big events in this sort of remote push, like you had like this four hour work week, like you're saying, then there's like the 37 signals guys where they were like, okay, you know, why do we have to be here? This is crazy. And then you get companies now like GitLab, which is like, Hey, we're just going to be this huge company and we're going to have a man, like a manual of how to do this. And they're probably going to go public next year. I mean, this is a billion multi-billion dollar company. They're going to be public. They're going to be fully remote. And you see this in a white, like there's just like constant, like pillars, like you said, of people that are just pushing it forward. And I think that's what you're going to see. Definitely, definitely. Uh, so, so moving back to Ascend, so remote work, 
is a thing and it's moving and it's the future. And let's say I am a hiring manager at a company, let's say I'm the CEO, like whatever, and I want to find some super smart, remote friendly engineers, and I don't know where to go, and then I, I'm hit with an ad or I'm hit with like a referral for Ascend. How, how does Ascend work? How would I use it? And how would I recruit top talent on, on your platform? Right, so it, it depends on the company. Sometimes the companies will log into our site, they'll put their job, just like they were posting on some kind of ATS, like Lever, or Greenhouse type thing. They put in their details about their job, what the salary is, hourly rates, if it's a contract position, uh, different skills they need. Just like you're posting a job on the internet in any sort of forum, they put that on our sites. And then what we do is we have a network of partners, recruiters, sub-vendors, and we've got a large talent pool that handpicks a number of people who are appropriate for that role. And then we show them to the company. So we show them like, it depends on the role. The lower skilled, they'll see more people. Higher skilled, they'll see fewer. Uh, but they end up seeing maybe five, 10, 15 for a role. They pick who they want and then they hire them. And so we help the interview process. We help uh, uh, manage the contract once it starts. If it's, if it's a contractor, we do all the payroll, benefits, administration, that kind of thing. And then otherwise, we just we make sure that the whole process happens. So in some sense, it's kind of like a recruiting firm, but it's, it's very much online. It's very much they're not necessarily dealing with a person uh, if they don't want to. Some of the larger companies prefer dealing with an account manager. But by and large, it, it's the same as posting a job anywhere else on the internet. They're getting a hand-picked, curated list of talent after they post a job. Definitely. Uh, so I have a question that it might go into your secret sauce. So if you can't disclose, then that's totally cool. But I've always been fascinated by, you, know, you mentioned that when, if I'm a company and I want engineers, you have all these partners and recruiters and stuff and they, and they go out there into the world and find great candidates and just list them in front of me that I can pick from. How, do, where do you find them from? Are they, are, are they giving you information? Are you like taking it from other, like, like how do you find these top people from the internet? <laughs> right, so, so some of it's in our, in our own pool of people that we've already like attracted over the internet for other types of roles, for other things that have signed up with us. So that, that's one thing, it's a, we have our own talent pool. But then a, a lot of it is actually search and there's different channels for that. And uh, I mean, historically how staffing companies have worked forever is you'll have, you'll have effectively, like let's say it's a large Fortune 500 company, you'll have what's called a master service provider who is like handling all their talent, talent needs or somebody who's in charge of the recruiting operation. And then they'll go out and they'll look at a bunch of different sub-vendors who are finding talent of different ways. And so sometimes that's a, a smaller staffing company, sometimes that's an individual recruiter. Uh, and so we have a number of different channels like that. And some of it's our own pool, some of it's these other channels, and some of it's... Uh, and what you really get through the internet is eventually you attract people independent of search. And so, and that's one of the nice things about the internet. You can get, and this is one of the things that uh, places like Upwork, TopTal have done really well. They end up doing a lot of content marketing. They, they do things that attract people that is it's permanent on the internet, like real estate that is people are searching, like, how do I find a remote job? And then boom, an article pops up like, hey, listen, you can do this kind of role. Here's how you do it. And then they come to us. So we think that, because of the internet, because it doesn't, it's not so regional like you used to have with other staffing companies, that you can effectively, you can own the market in a way, you can own the internet virtual real estate in a way that historically staffing firms have not been able to do. You open up a, in my head, a can of worms there in regards to what the internet's 
allows humans to do. Um, I I think it's easy to, especially like me as a a younger person, uh, like, you know, I I grew up into the internet, right? It was always there. And it feels like it's been there forever because it has been for me, but it's only been 20, 30 years that people have been building on the internet. And a lot of people are saying that the, the best is yet to come. The best companies have, haven't even been built yet um, on the internet. And there's just going to be centuries of innovation. I'm uh, doing a little bit of a curveball here, but it's just on my mind. I'm curious, what other like industries or, or areas of business or life do you think the internet will improve that ha- it hasn't necessarily like touched too much yet, or there's a lot more opportunity? Uh, do, do you have any thoughts on, on areas of, of opportunity there? I, I mean, I honestly don't, I don't really know. I mean, I, I know that I know what everyone else knows in this in this regard. And you know, you get firms like Andreessen, and I think they just published a thing about the passion economy, right? Of like people doing making money doing podcasts or making money doing uh, some kind of writing or doing like a instructional videos that they they teach. Like people are doing stuff on the internet or becoming like a YouTube or social media star where they're making money like that. I think like the way that we monetize our abilities is is definitely changing like i mean i never thought that i would be able to do with software to just sit in a room and i and, and i don't do so much of this now but before when i i used to contract before and that's actually uh how i ended up wanting to get into this is you can just sit there and create stuff do you create code and, and a company will pay you for it it's crazy it was always crazy to me and so i i think that's what's happening with these things i mean like think about like an, an example of a podcast i mean it's like no one you would have thought it would be crazy to to think of something like this uh, even a a few years ago that anybody can can set up effectively like a radio station and and do this and so i I think that is changing of like of how we do how we monetize our passions is definitely changing yeah that's it goes into an interesting point i I definitely read uh, that blog post and i i got shivers down my spine just because i I know that most people don't like their work. If you look at just the grand scheme of things, at least I can talk about, you know, what I know about America. Like most people aren't, aren't fans of their jobs and they would rather do something else. And I think that that last point that they'd rather do something else, the companies that help them do something else, uh, which, which are, there could be millions of them. But I think that's in my biased opinion, that's where so much innovation is going to happen. Like helping more people love their work because that's important. Work matters and, and you should love what you're doing every day. Yeah, I, I think another thing, which is, is, and a lot of people talk about this when it comes to uh, having a more inclusive sort of environment, is that with the internet, you can do a lot of things asynchronously that you couldn't do before. And so whatever it is that you're creating that people are paying for, you don't have to do it at the same time that people are paying you for it. You can do it asynchronously. And whether that's, it doesn't matter what that is, but it allows people to have a much more flexible flexible work life whether that's programming or 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 making art or making a video online and so i I think that it's going to allow people to have a much more enjoyable work life and people that they can have kids they can live far away they can do you know other stuff that they can have other stuff going on in their lives and they don't have to be sitting in one place for eight hours to get to what you worked on they can get you know two hours here two hours there that that's this immense change with how people structure their lives I agree with that. And it leads me to, to question another part of kind of the world that's changing with the internet, which is 
you, know, you spend a lot of time thinking about the workforce, right? Your, your whole, your whole, the whole company is matching up opportunities for people that, that can, that need those opportunities. Uh, and I'm kind of seeing this shift in education where for, for so long we, from kindergarten all the way up to uh, high school, then get into a college to get a job. But the end goal, like the job market is changing, which means this system needs to change. Uh, do you, do you find like, what are you seeing from your perspective on the, on the education side or people coming into modern or sorry to a sin? Um, like, do you notice anything there? Where are they getting their skills from? Yeah, I mean, so like, I mean, I'm d definitely passionate about the education. So my, my former company, I founded a company called Leaf, uh, which is uh, one of the, it's, it's probably the largest income share agreement platform in the United States. And so it's the one that powers Lambda schools, income share agreements, and it powers like uh, Pathrise and all these YC companies that have this and a number of other schools. And so I, I know you've done many podcasts on, on income share agreements and it's, it's been relatively popular in the last, the last year or so. And so we, we saw a lot of innovative schools and Lambda is probably the most well-known of, of these schools. And what it seems like is, is that people are, are, are much less willing to just go blindly into a school that is teaching something from 30 years ago that they're going to pay a hundred grand for it. They, they just won't do it. And they balk at these numbers. They won't do it. And they don't even like going to a school that charges 10 grand for something. They want to have it free and pay later out of their income. They want this sort of risk sharing. And so you see this more alignment with skills and, and the, the student, what they're learning and the alignment of outcomes that you just didn't see before. And, and I think some of the income share stuff is doing that. You don't really need income share for that, but there's much more agility from the employer looking at, or excuse me, the schools looking at what the employers actually want. And so we actually started out as, uh, we, we started out as what we're doing now in the YC, but then we kind of pivoted to a, a uh, we went to YC uh, earlier this year. We briefly had a school where we were paying people to learn, and it was kind of like a, it was basically a way to get more engineers into the market. And what we've noticed is that there's just lots of, there's lots of people who really want to learn skills and the, but there's just not a lot of schools historically that have been set up to like teach them what's going to give them a job. And so I think the modern, modern schools are, are really focused on that. And I think it's one of the areas that I, I, like I think in the future, a lot of these people are going to come to us. They already do. A lot of the people that are like have the most relevant schools are coming from these uh, skills rather are coming from these schools and they're coming to us and they have, they already working remote. Here's another thing. The, the, all these online schools, there's all these online schools now. It's like there's immense demand for online education, but they do the school online. And then the employer says, no, I want you to be in person. They're like, what? I, I just, I just went to school online in Arkansas. Why can't I do my, my, my employment online? Like I, schools online, why is employment? I think that's what's also happening. It's like, there's the schools are actually leading the way in what the consumer wants. The consumer wants to do it online. And I think eventually employers are going to get this too. Well, a couple of things. One, I didn't realize you were a co-founder of Leaf. I'm actually like super familiar with it. With a previous company, I I used the platform. I I talked to I talked to people over there, and it is super impressive. So good on you for for co-founding that. That is a sweet company. Yeah, you know, I actually uh, so I, I started it in 2016, and I was all alone. And we uh, in the very beginning, that's actually one of the reasons that um, that I, we got into what we're doing now is is back then. 
when we're really new, we, we, we didn't have any customers yet. It was, it was 2017, right, right in the beginning. And it basically, I couldn't take a salary because we had, we had no money. We had nothing. And so we, even when we found our first few, few companies and even a land school, I hadn't, by the time we landed them, uh, I hadn't taken a salary and I had a contract on the side. And so I, I think that's where our company is born out of now is, is from that experience of those like me contracting while trying to make this startup work and it ended up working out great. I mean, we sold the company in, uh, in 2017 at the end for a few million dollars. I mean, it was a good deal, but, but the, uh, the experience of having to like start a company contract was, is what led us into what we're doing now. And so we, we really embody this whole thing of being able to like work on the internet to be able to support your other dreams, which might not be your, your employer. Absolutely. Well, I feel like this might seem off topic, but I'm just super curious and I feel like the best questions come out of curiosity. So I, I kind of want to go into back in 2017 when you were working on leaf and you, when you met Austin, uh, from Lambda School, did you know what was going to happen uh, when you met him? Like, can you actually describe kind of what what that interaction was like? And if oh, they yeah. were already taking you know, off, you know, or the first were... thing off, you know, this. so yeah, I found sure. Austin on on uh, on Hacker News. So we had we had a, gotten our first few customers. We just found a financing partner, and we, we we had we had really nothing, like really not a lot of stuff. We we were doing a few deals with some schools. We were looking for somebody to invest in. And because we had found somebody who wanted to buy a lot of income share agreements. And so we found Austin on, on Hacker News and he was writing about like living in his car or something like that. And he was like homeless and it started to like, oh, this guy's great. And so I sent him a message on LinkedIn. I'm like, hey, do you have your own tech for this? And they're like, no, no, we're just using like, like our own thing right now. And it was like, oh, great. We have our own technology. And he's like, oh, cool. You're like, a, you mentioned one of our competitors. And I was like, oh, and we're also like buying income share agreements and stuff. And he's like, oh, great, we should meet. And the first thing we did, we met him at this, uh, Richard and I was another co-founder. We met him at this, this like sandwich place because we, we thought he liked sandwiches. And the first thing he says is, one day I'm going to buy a university. And we're like, this is the guy. This is the guy. This is the guy that's going to, he's going to raise a billion dollars. And he's full of stuff like this. And he would constantly be saying this. He'd be like, yeah, he'd be talking about like how like the sovereign wealth funds get invest or whatever. And he was like con constantly talking it up. And we, we knew that this guy was going to like lead the way. I mean, yeah, he had a great Twitter following all like the, the entire time, but the way that he talked was like, this guy is the winner. And we said this like, right when we, we put a press release out, right when we did a deal with them and we said, this guy's the winning horse. And the rest is kind of like, and now he, he I mean, he's, he's going to win. He's going to be the, the, the big player in the space. But I, I think that's one of the things is, is sometimes you meet a founder and the way that they talk, you know that they're going to attract people to, the, to their vision. And, and that's how it was. And that was the first time in my life that I ever like saw that like very clearly. And I think that, I don't know, I mean, I'm not a venture investor. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I, I hardly do any kind of angel stuff even now, but but I think the, the really good investors are able to see these people and the way that they talk and know that like other people are going to like love this. What a great story. That's uh, that's awesome. I remember he actually had him on the podcast like 20 episodes ago and just, just the nicest guy, like one of the most successful people that I've probably ever talked to, but he's also one of the nicest humble people too. It's just what a, what a great dude. Yeah. Anyways, thanks for sharing the story. Now moving it back, you know, we just went back into 2017. Now let's look present and, and future. So 
you, you're, you're building this company, it's growing, uh, you're, you're, you're kind of get your, your, your rocket ship kind of blasting off. Where, where are you headed to? What, what direction are you rowing to? And I just love to hear like, what's your vision for, for your company and where will you, where do you see it in a decade or a century, whatever you want to paint? Right. I mean, I, I see it as if you're like what we originally started this with is we kind of thought, and this is, this is kind of ridiculous now given what's happened with WeWork, but we thought WeWork, we were like, we're going to be like WeWork, but online. And like, everybody's like, like we were like, what people did was, it was this, Hey, it's this place for all these like small freelancer types to like have a smaller office and have this community and they don't all work for us, but they work for other companies in this building. And there's this like community. And, and we, what we originally thought with before when we were called modern labor and then now Ascent is we're going to be this place where people work and they're like, that's where you find the place where they work and that's where you find jobs. And, and this is, there's a community around this and we're going to have like this virtual community of people who are looking for work. And so I, I think that's what I, I, I see in the future is that we're this place that just a go-to place. If you want to get a job, that's on the internet. If you want to do some kind of skill on the internet, like, like computer programming, you go to us. And if you're an employer looking for talent, you go to us. And, and I think eventually we'll be international. And I think uh, right now we're, it's all U S and I think it'll probably be U S for the, for the foreseeable future. But I see it as the, the premier online talent platform. And there's a number of platforms out there. Uh, I mean, I, I used to make money on Upwork and somehow I made that work, but I was always really embarrassed about it. I was like super embarrassed about working on there and the, the brand just wasn't, it wasn't set up for, for high skilled talent. I, I wouldn't tell a soul. I, mean, I wouldn't tell a soul until we sold the company and I was like, Hey, it worked out. Like, look, even like I, I'm an, I was an Upwork person and it worked out for me, but I would have never told anybody. And, and I, I want to be a place where people are proud, proud to work. And so I, that, that's kind of like a more of a company sort of specific thing. But I think the future is going to be very different. Like I said about remote work, I think people are going to, I think like this idea of being huddled together in like Manhattan or, or some city where you're paying like uh, like a million dollars for, for a, a studio condo. I think that's going to sound so ridiculous. And I think like, I think like we are this hedge against this future where real estate, it's like, there's not a really a lot of reason to be in this corporate real estate, this, this commercial real estate. And I think we're kind of a hedge against this is that eventually people are going to realize, Hey, I can go to North Carolina. And so I think in the future, you're going to have more this distribution of city power. I think it's, it's, it's going to be like, there's going to be uh, effectively, you're not going to have to live next to the power plant. There's going to be solar panels and distributed energy and people can live where it's green grass and they can talk on the internet. And they don't have to like go in on a car or in a subway train to, to go into this place. That's like sometimes not the nicest place. And so that, that's the kind of the future I see. And I, and I hope that we can sort of evangelize people to further that, to, to catalyze this, this future that eventually is going to seem just so normal in, in, in retrospect. This might seem like a odd question and it's the first time I've asked it, but it, it just kind of popped up. You're painting a, super interesting future and an ideal future that, that I would like to live in as well. Um, I feel like in order for futures or visions to exist, there needs to be like a lot of things to happen in order to, to, to make it happen, right? So I'm kind of wondering if you're able to answer what other companies uh, need to fill what spaces to help this vision, your vision come into reality. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's a number of them. I mean, a lot of them are communication type companies. Like, there's like, uh, what is it, Tandem? I think it was on your show. Uh, like, there's a there's a company called Terminal that that helps set up remote offices. A lot of the communication startups. So, like, we're talking about like anything that enables people to collaborate better, communicate better about their work. I think that's that's a really important thing. I think places like Notel, WeWork, Breather. That, that's sort of like allowing more of a short-term use of office space that's a little bit smaller in, instead of like, like there's no real need to have a, a big open plan, uh, you know, a thousand, 10,000 square foot office space anymore. I think it's going to be more compartmentalized and you get smaller offices. And so I, like WeWork has kind of done that, but other firms are doing that. The communication tools. Uh, and then also like people... I think companies are, are going to have to realize that this is the way to go. I mean, they've already, I mean, one of the reasons that we went to this in the first place is we were, we were trying to find on-site talent for people for, for a while actually. And there's just nobody left. Like nobody will switch jobs. Like there's nobody left to, to do it. And so I think the companies are, are realizing this is one of the reasons that like pensions came about and like healthcare benefits came about is these employers, they realized, Hey, like we need to have all these benefits to attract them. And now the ultimate benefit, is you don't have to be here. And so I, like, I think that, that like on the one hand, the communication tools, on the other hand, like these ways real estate are set up. I mean, you said you were in a co-working space. I mean, that, that's furthering this. And then the other hand, the final hand, so to speak, is these companies being open to it. And I think that's what they're, they're realizing they're having to do. Wow, this is fascinating. And I feel like since we've been talking, the time is just zipped by. You're a wealth of knowledge on on all of these topics and it's going to be cool to see what you build uh you know in the future and to watch this vision come to fruition uh, I, I have two more questions for you first question is you uh, i've had quite a journey so far and you've uh, a journey ahead of you as well uh what is the biggest learning that you've had from co-founding Leaf or founding Leaf, selling Leaf, and now and now working on a new company and going through YC and all these things, what have been some of the biggest lessons that you've learned along the way that make you a better founder? I, I, I think the, the biggest one is to not chase the market. And and that's like they, that's that's kind of like an investing idea. It, like looking at what other people are already doing in the space like a lot of times founders, they'll spend a lot of time looking at what other companies are doing. They'll obsess about the existing solutions. And I, I don't think you can do that. I, I think you have to, to think of the, the company from first principles, like what kind of future, like this is the trend and what's the solution? What's the product that's going to take advantage of this trend? And I think you have to think about it like that. And I, and I think once you do come up with something, that you're going to see a few other firms in the market and a lot of times their solution is going to be kind of hacky, but it's not going to be like 50 firms or a hundred firms. And there's not going to be a conference necessarily. You're going to be like one of the first few ones and you know that, okay, this is, you know, I can compete against this and you're going to have the hacky solution too. And, and you can go on with it. But I think, I think you have to be authentic with that. And I, I also think that the startups are a lot of times, it's all like a religion. I think what I, what I didn't understand and I've come back to understand really strongly, the people we met with Leaf, and you see this with income share agreements, a lot of people believe in this as a solution and they, they know that the system is like broken and they, like, they, they're like searching and they're searching. They, they think that, you know, like we got to have an answer and then you as a founder, you have that answer for them. 
And when, when people believe, like they will meet with, you have this answer for this question that's like aching in them. They will meet with you. They'll meet with you for coffee. They'll, they'll like, they'll wax philosophical with you and they might even buy your company. That's what happened with us. It's like people will, will want to meet with you. They want to help you. They want to like, they want to be a part of this thing that you're doing. And, and that really comes from this sort of finding people that believe in what you're doing. And I don't think you can just say like, Hey, this is going to make money. This is a good business idea. I think you have to like really, but it has to be a vision for something. And that's what you're really doing as a founder. I think you're providing meaning to these people's lives. You're providing meaning to the, to the investors' lives, to, the, to your employees' lives, and you're, you're taking them with you on this, this journey. And I'm mixing metaphors like crazy right now. But for the most part, you're, you're giving them this answer to this question that they knew that there was something off, the world is changing, and you are providing this answer for this aching question that they've had. That is a fantastic way to wrap up the, the hard and deep questions. My last question for you uh, for, the, for the podcast is where can uh, people learn more about you and find your company online and discover what you're working on? Yeah, so we're at, at ascend.com. That's a, the word ascend, but without the D, ascend.com. And uh, on there, you can see what we do. Uh, also, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, love to chat with you on there or, or in person. I think that we're, uh, we're we all have so much content out there right now, but we're going to definitely put more content out to, to talk about what we're doing. But uh, love to chat with anybody that's wanting to chat. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. Literally one of the most insightful conversations I've had on the podcast. So I appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to seeing the future that you build. Awesome. Thanks a lot.